Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club, episode number 16. Uh, tonight, me, Jonathan Burke, and Corey... Hello, hello! ...are going to be talking about Being John Malkovich um, from 1999. And... Oh. I think it's 99. I'm, now I'm, like, doubting myself. But we'll get the correct date when we get into the film. Um, before we do that, how you doing, Corey? I'm doing pretty good. Can I nerd out for a minute? Oh, yeah, sure thing. Okay, so every year I go to the annual record store day celebration and spend too much money that I save for months on limited edition items. And I have won a few times now one of the first five spots in line. And today I won the fourth spot in line. So that means that I don't have to wake up at like 4 a.m. so I can buy these records. I can sleep and just get there. I can just scoot in like five minutes before they open. They give us a few minutes to shop before everybody else so I don't get hit by people and go crazy and want to hit them back. That's pretty lucky, I guess. Um, Yes. I wish Star Wars would have done that with their celebration so I could have seen Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and George Lucas and John Williams and everybody else that I didn't get to see. But, you know, whatever. Just Harrison Ford. (sighs) Um, I'm going to nerd out for a minute because you have record day tomorrow. I have the beginning of the Florida Film Festival tomorrow. And I can't wait. Um, I am going to see... I think when it's all said and done, I think 15 movies in the week. Uh, um, I think that's the right number. I have 12, maybe more. Hold on. more. It might be 18. It might be 18 movies when it's all said and done. Um, I am doing uh, six this weekend, and I don't think I'm going to make it back during the, the weeknights. Um, it is about an hour and a half drive for me, and with work and everything else, it'll be pushing it. Um, plus, I drive a truck, uh, which isn't bad on gas mileage, but it's definitely not good on gas mileage. Um, so I'm thinking I'm going to hold off until next weekend, but I am taking Friday off of work. So I'm going Friday daytime, uh, and seeing Billy Crudup that night. And then I think I'm doing four movies on Saturday and four movies on Sunday. So it's going to be a fun week of films. It's the first time I'm really doing the festival like this. Last year I only saw, I think, uh, yeah, three movies at the festival the whole week. So I'm, I'm going from three to 18, uh, which is a big leap, but I'm excited. And of course I'm going to three I'm going to all three of the Q&As because I'm going to see, um, oh man, now her name's not coming to my brain. It's been, it's been coming. <gasps> Leah Thompson, is that right? Leah Thompson from yep. Back to the Future. And then uh, Billy Crudup with Jesus' son. And then on sun- Saturday, I'm seeing uh, Airplane with the director and the act- the lead actor whose names are not going to come into my brain at the moment. But So I'm doing all three Q&As um, at the festival this year, something I don't know that I'll do in the future. It is a little more money to do them, but... I've never done one, so I figured why not go big, especially when they announced Leah Thompson. There was no way I was missing Back to the Future um, at the, with her there because that's just too awesome. I mean, um, so I'm really excited about this week. I'm going to be writing a bunch of reviews. Um, there's a few movies I can only write capsule reviews, uh, which are just you know short kind of more synopsis. It's kind of what we do anyways on the site. We don't usually do a uh, play-by-play or spoiler review um, too often. For the movies, but there's a few like Colossal, which I'm seeing tomorrow night. Um, because it has distribution, the critics aren't allowed to do full reviews, which I feel like is a little ridiculous because it'll be here probably in a week or two and I can just see it and then do a full review. But again, I don't do what I think is considered a full review, anyways, so we'll work it out. But you know, those are some of the limitations uh, being a film critic. Now, the thing that I find amusing though is. I am a film critic, officially, according to the film festival, because I am in as a, as a press member. But uh, one of my students, who did not do the press pass but does write reviews, is going to see Colossal. And I'm like, well, can they stop him from writing a full review? Because he's not there as a media member. So I don't Loopholes. know if, if it's a loophole or what, because they know that I'm there as media. So if I write it, I can get in trouble. But for him, I'm guessing he's safe, because he, you know what's he going to lose? They, he's already seen the movie. They can't take that from him. So... <laughs> I, if, I assume that if I break the rule that I could lose my press credentials for next year, I don't want to risk that. Um, so I will not be doing anything to violate my press uh, status because I intend on being a member of this as long as I can keep the site up and going. Which leads us to our podcast topics of the week. Before we get into being John Malkovich, we like to talk about the upcoming trailers. That These are films that are going to be coming out on April 28th. And um, that is, we're going to start with uh, a movie called Slight. Um, Slight is directed by J.D. Dillard. Uh, stars um, Jacob Lattimore, uh, oh boy, Seychelle Gabriel, I'm guessing, and uh, Dooley Hill. Um, 
A young street magician, Jacob Lattimore, is left to care for his little sister after her parents' passing and turns to illegal activities to keep a roof over their heads. Uh, when he gets too deep, um, his sister is kidnapped and he is forced to use magic, his magic and brilliance to, uh, brilliant mind to save her. Um, Corey, what do you think about this trailer? I don't know how to verbalize how I feel about that trailer. Oh, it doesn't sound it, positive. <laughs> mm, no. Um, I am. I don't even care enough to find out about his magic, I guess. Um, it just looks really weak to me. Hmm. Well, the user critic score on, uh, which, by the way, the plot synopsis I just read was from IMDb, but the um, user score on it already, because it it's limited release on April 7th, but it's, it's listed as going wide on Box Office Mojo on this coming 28th, but I still think it's going to be super limited wide, so it'll be in select markets. Um, it's got a 5.4 user rating, so it's it's hitting mediocre. Um, in the trailer, it compares itself to Iron Man and Chronicle, I think, um, which I don't know where the Iron Man connection is coming in um, exactly. The Chronicle part, it does look like some of his magic is legitimate magic and not like... Um, <laughs> Street. It looks like street magic at first, but then it appears that he has actual some kind of like um, telekinesis type abilities. It looks intriguing. I'm in, I'm interested. Um, I would have thought it looks more like kind of like a menace to society, as like he's a young African American man who looks like he's turned to gangs uh, to make money. Like there's talk of a drug deal like going wrong and things like that. Um, but then tied in with more of the superhero genre where he has abilities that are going to allow him to. Um, maybe step away from this life and uh, do something better. But I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't know that it looks great, but I'm definitely intrigued by it. So something I want to uh, check out if it comes local. But I am a, a superhero genre fanatic. I, I tend to give all of them a chance, um, even ones that I'm not interested in. So, And to be fair, I'm not. So if you are, don't take my word for it, please. Yep. Yep. And that's like, for me, I'm not a big fan of like, car movies per se like i i've i've never watched italian job i haven't seen need for speed not that many people did um i'm you know five movies behind in the uh, fast and furious franchise and it doesn't mean you can't enjoy those they just don't call to me like the superhero genres do so that's my nerd i guess some people are car nerds but you know um next up on the release slate for the 28th which is still uh, it's definitely wide, and it's wider than uh, slight, but it still looks like it's somewhat limited, so I don't know what markets are actually going to get this. And I hadn't heard of this movie until, um, oh, what I just saw this in front of something indie. I can't think of what it was. Crud. I just saw the trailer. Uh, gifted? It, I don't think it was Gifted, because I feel like I saw it before Gifted. It might have been in front of Chips. Um, I'm actually pretty sure it was in front of Chips because I remember a bunch of old people laughing and Chips was full of old people. So, um, and that would make sense because this is a comedy. Good audience. Um, How to Be a Latin Lover is the name of the movie. Uh, this is IMDb summary. Finding himself dumped after 25 years of marriage, a man who made a career of seducing rich old older women must move in with his estranged sister where he begins to learn the value of family. Um, stars Eugenio Derbez. Derbez? I'm not, sorry for butchering that. Selma Hayek, uh, Rob Lowe, Kristen Bell, and then a kid actor who looks like he's going to be prominent, Rafael Alejandro. And I did see Michael Sarah in the trailer, too. I don't know if you uh, caught wind of that. Um, I did. But some of the scenes look pretty hilarious. Uh, definitely going to be kind of a dumb comedy, I think. But um, they're, like the scene where he's, he's trying to look young again, so he puts uh, shoe polish all over his hair and his beard and his chest hair because he's got gray and... and then he dives in the pool and it looks like he, you know, has diarrhea. It's a stupid yeah. joke, but it did make me laugh. I can't deny it. And the old people in the theater at Chips, they they ate that up. So what do you think about uh, how to be a Latin lover, Corey? I really like Michael Sarah, but I still don't think I can commit to that movie. There's a, there's a bunch of funny people and it. it looks like um, Rob Riggle, uh, Rob Hubel, um, Rob Cort all the Robs, all the funny Rob character actors are in this movie. So that's a good sign for the comedy. Um, I don't know how big of a part they'll have, but they're all in it. And I don't know. It looked pretty funny in the trailer. I, I do like a dumb comedy from now and again, especially if it actually brings the laughs. And so far, most of the comedies from this year have not been that funny. So I'd love to have um, you know, something solid uh, like this if it ends up actually being solid. All right, so Corey's not interested in How to Be a Latin Lover, but... Um, let's see if she's interested in this third movie, because so far she's 0 for 2 with uh, the 28th. She may not be making it to a theater. Um, the other movie, and the biggest movie coming out on the 28th, 
uh, as it's got some pretty big names in it, uh, is called The Circle. Um, a woman lands a dream job at a powerful tech company called The Circle, only to uncover a nefarious agenda that will affect the lives of her friends, family, and, and that of humanity. That last word is what makes me apprehensive. But um, we have Emma Watson, Tom Hanks, and John Boyega all starring in this film, which are three actors that I am a generally big fan of, and Bill Paxton. Um, I think this is his last film. Please stop. No. And, oh, okay. Corey, Corey Beck is listed in the credits. Beck. <sighs> as, as Beck. He's Beck, Beck playing Beck. What? what? Yeah, Beck. Beck is in this movie as Beck, and there's Beck bandmate, so he must be playing, like, a show. Oh, my God. So now hey. she's in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, I am going to agree with you. Watching the trailer it does look pretty creepy. Um, all of that. Um, I mean, I haven't really even delved into, like, the Snowden and all that. I haven't, like, looked into that a lot either. I just know, like, surface information. And just the whole thought of pe- someone being able to watch everything that you do every you know, whatever, is very unnerving. It makes me uncomfortable. I mean, clearly, I feel like 99% of the populace would feel that way, but I don't know. I agree with you about humanity at the end makes it seem a little too big for its... Yeah, I'm intrigued by it. And again, I love the cast, so I I was sold when I saw the actors. Um, Tom Hanks, I was like, okay. Well, uh, Tom Hanks, obviously, he's even he has done bad movies, so his name attached to something does not mean it's good. But he will likely be still good, regardless of the film. Um, I, I He looks like he's playing a bad guy, which is interesting, because I don't remember seeing him play a bad guy too many times. Um, Emma Watson has, uh, you know, she's Hermione Granger, so she's always going to get a pass for me. I did not love Beauty and the Beast. You did. Um, and... I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't love I don't oh, okay. know if I loved it, but I really enjoyed it, and I wasn't expecting that. Got it. Um, and I like Perks of Being a Wallflower with, with her, and I've not seen anything else she's in I don't think um at least not that i can recall um john boyega i've only seen in attack the block and um force awakens um but i'm a fan so who's that oh that's that's finn from from boyhood oh the kid from boyhood is he in it yeah i don't know i haven't seen boyhood yet dates her um he's like emma watson's boyfriend or something is it eller coltrane yeah eller coltrane okay we killed that and karen gillian is in it as well who's um She's from Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, most famous for um, Doctor Who. Um, I so, can't believe my favorite Scientologist is in this movie. Okay. Which is? Beck. <laughs> oh. Ah, I forget. See, he doesn't seem like he would be a Scientologist to me. but Yeah, he does. He was, like, raised in that mess. I'm not saying he's not. It just I would oh, think, I like, he'd be more, I don't know, he's so folksy. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I only know, like, eight songs of Beck. He's not my favorite. He's your favorite. So... Um, well, of the three movies, it looks like Circle's got the best uh, chance of getting some people to the theater. Definitely kind of a slow week, though, by comparison, although the 21st um, was actually, I think, slower, as that had the forgettable movie, I mean, Unforgettable, um, <laughs> the the Promise, which is getting horrible reviews so far, um, the Disney's, what is it, China, China Animals of China, something? Something like that, which I've, is not even getting a big release, even though it's a Disney movie that our local theater has been marketing like crazy, and it's not even coming to our local theater. What? Yeah, and um, there were there were two other movies that are not getting big releases either. Um, oh, Free Fire, which is not getting a huge release, but is that? Do you know if that's coming to your area this it, weekend? It is. Yeah, it opened today, so I'm gonna mm. try to get to the theaters to see that next I re- week. Probably. I recommend that one for sure. I had uh, Mike and I had a good time seeing that. Um, just a heads up too. Uh, the, the podcast is coming out a day earlier than normal. Usually, the podcast drops on Sundays. It's dropping on Saturday this week because I will be at the film festival Saturday and Sunday, so I don't want to miss the drop. So, if the, if you're wondering why we're early, that is why. Um, and if you haven't listened to our most recent episode of Top Five Movies, it is all about our favorite Star Wars moments. Um, and Mike and I talk about our experience at the Star Wars Celebration uh, and a few other podcasts that we met while we were there. So. If you haven't listened to that, check that out. Um, available on Burke Reviews Podcast. Uh, subscribe, please. Tell your friends and let everybody know. Um, with that, I think we're ready to get into uh, our movie of the week, which is Being John Malkovich. You ready, Corey? I'm ready. All right, let's start with what we usually do, which is a little overcap overview of the film. Sorry for the overcap. But before we do anything, <clears throat> spoiler warning. 
we are probably going to talk about parts of this movie in pretty good depth. So if you don't like to hear things like that about movies you haven't seen already, please go check out Being John Malkovich and then come back and give us a listen. On that note, Being John Malkovich is a 1999 movie. Like I said, I was right. Um, I just couldn't believe that's oh, like yeah. 18 years ago. I know. I'm having a hard time. Uh, director, uh, Directed by Spike Jones and written by Charlie Kaufman. Um, which is actually the reason we chose this movie. We did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind a few weeks back, which is directed by um, Michelle Gondry or Michael Gondry. I'm still not sure how to pronounce that name. And uh, written by Charlie Kaufman. Um, I have only seen a few of Kaufman's films. Uh, he has directed just a couple, um, but he's written several. And I've only now seen um, four of his written films. I'm My uh, list includes a couple more, which we'll talk about later, um, that I want to see. But being John Malkovich... Uh, the uh, summary on IMDb says a puppeteer discovers a portal that leads literally into the head of movie star John Malkovich, which is one of the things I find really endearing about this film is that John Malkovich is playing himself. Um, well, at least a fictional version of himself. Um, we have some big stars aside from the obvious John Malkovich. We have John Cusack um, looking rather rough in this film in a intentionally, but just kind of surprising way. Uh, Cameron Diaz matches that, if not exceeds that. She looks nothing like she does in, I don't think, any other movie um, that I can recall. Uh, Catherine Keener, which was cool seeing her after uh, watching Get Out from this year, because she's the mom from Get Out. Um, and then, uh, there was, oh, Octavia Spencer has a really small part. Like, she's in it for less than a couple minutes. Um, and then another major character, uh, Orson Bean, who I'm not familiar with as an actor, but he has a pretty major role in the film, so I want to include him in our list. And I think that's all the, uh, you know, simple stuff that we just need to talk about. Um, from this point, if you're new to the podcast, this is where uh, we don't go play-by-play play necessarily, although sometimes it just ends up doing that if there's a lot we want to discuss. Um, but we do get into everything uh, that we want to say about the movie. Um, sometimes we'll go deeper than just the surface-level stuff. Uh, this is my, both of our first viewing of being John Malkovich, right, Corey? Yeah. So even though it's our first viewing, usually a first viewing, I'm only going to have, like, superficial commentary on what I liked, what I didn't. This movie hit some buttons for me that um, I've been analyzing and thinking about since I finished it last night. Um, so I think I have a lot to say that maybe will branch past the uh, the surface-level content. Um, and I think also, having watched a few Charlie Kaufman films now, I'm starting to see some patterns with his, uh, his interest. Um, I've called him for a while a surrealist writer. He likes to go with uh, surrealism within the films. Um, which ex the movie we'll be watching in a couple weeks, Synecdoche, New York, um, he really goes, and he directs and wrote that one, and he really goes surreal on that. Um, I found it interesting that his most recent film, um, Anomalisa, which is a puppets, uh, puppeteered film, um, yeah, there's a lot of similarities in the subject matter in Anomalisa and being John Malkovich, and that John Cusack's character is a puppeteer, I found interesting. Um, obviously not a coincidence, but, you know, it was, uh, it's an interesting way to explore. I don't know if Kaufman has an obsession with puppets or if he just thought the uh, the medium was interesting maybe because of this movie. Um, but this is uh, Charlie Kaufman's first feature film that, that was at least made, um, according to IMDb. So that was intriguing, too. Um, again, though, that Spike Jones directed. Uh, what are your initial thoughts, Corey, of being John Malkovich? That word that we try not to use. Interesting. interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Um, how do... I, okay, I, I enjoyed the storyline. I thought it was um, very different than anything else. Uh -huh. Well, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but um, this movie, Eternal Sunshine, and uh, uh, even Anomalisa have a little more straightforward um, narratives than Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, New York's narrative is super uh, out there. Like, um, it's definitely I, not straightforward. I know, and that's why I'm kind of nervous about watching that movie. I'm afraid it's going to... I'm not going to grasp, grasp some of it. <laughs> well, I'm hoping to understand it more in the second watching, especially having kind of explored his other work. I think Synecdoche <laughs> might be his... Um, maybe his opus, where it's like, I'm making the movie I want to make, regardless of what other people might interpret, where there's definitely um, some very simple things in Eternal Sunshine and in John Malkovich that even if you don't like the surrealist stuff, you can at least latch on to the love story that is at the center of everything that's happening. Um, so the summary gave the big plot point. Um, John Cusack plays uh, Craig Schwartz. He's a puppeteer. 
And so when we say a puppeteer, he, you know, operates puppets. Um, I think marionette is more accurate, but they do call him a puppeteer because all of his puppets, quote unquote puppets, are on strings. And I think that's marionettes. Um, and I think puppets are reserved for like shoving your hand into the the item and moving its mouth with your hands rather than operating mm. strings. But um, I guess that's irrelevant for the, the premise here. But um, John Cusack's character is a odd uh, puppeteer in that his puppet shows are not for children, which is usually your your target audience, right? Yes. Um, I was kind of taken aback by their appearance in this movie, I just want to say. I wasn't really expecting it. And I Wait, don't usually like... When you say um, their appearance, you mean John Cusack and Cameron Diaz or the puppets? Yep. Okay. Theirs. And then also, like, the puppets were very real looking. I thought they did a great job mm-hmm. making the puppets look like, because his puppets look like people. One looks like him, one looks like his wife, who's played by Cameron Diaz. Lottie. As Lottie. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, there's that word again. Um, I know. I need it. I'm bringing up the Soros.com, guys. So the, the, the film opens with a puppet show where um, it's a naked puppet. As in that it has no clothes or marionette again, I think is the correct term, and it's doing a like a dance almost, and it's like the articulation the puppet has is impressive. Like it's able to move its hand, um, like to its face. I mean, there's things that I don't know that I've ever seen a marionette actually be able to do. Um, then again, I don't remember the last time I actually watched that type of puppet show. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I was a kid, and I'm pretty sure it was my grandpa with like a cheap marionette we bought at like the flea market or something. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. That I've ever seen a high quality show, yeah. Or if they're even if that exists, that might be strictly for this movie. Which the movement exactly um, set to the song right at the very beginning, and it's like in his workshop. Are you yeah. talking about that? Yeah, I am. Yep, the opening yes. sequence. And um, I agree, and I do think it's because of the quality of the puppet and all the joints it has, but it moves very fluidly, and it mm-hmm. was really cool to watch that. Yeah, I don't know exactly how they did it. I, I'm I'm very confident John Cusack was not actually controlling it. I don't know that, but I would be very surprised if that was a talent he possessed and had not uh, utilized previously. But um, and then the next time we see him do a puppet show, he's on like the side of the street, like doing like a street performance, and it is a very creepy and very much reminiscent of Anomalisa because Anomalisa is um, one of the things it's most notorious for is there is a like five minute puppet sex scene. Um, Whoa! I haven't seen this movie yet, guys. Oh yeah, well that's I, I don't Sorry. feel like it's a spoiler, but it was what the movie got a lot of conversation because there is an excessively uncomfortable puppet sex scene, and I'm I mean, uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it is. It is a. It's very long, and it's very. It's. I wouldn't say it's graphic, but it's it's graphic for puppets. Like it's not what you would expect to see, which is why again those two movies. There's definitely a connection. Um, you know, Anomalisa came out I think 2015, and it had a small release. It did it did get nominated for an Oscar for best uh, animated film because um, it is stop motion uh, animation. And um, Jennifer Jason Lee is the lead female character in the movie. I forget who the male actor is, but uh, I like her a lot. But mm-hmm. I feel like she always plays a crazy woman. I wouldn't say she's crazy in this. the The guy is definitely crazy in this, but in a in a uh, Charlie Kaufman type of way. You know, it's like endearing crazy, where you're like you kind of feel for him, but at the same time, you kind of think they're a jerk. Cause that's kind of like, um, John Cusack, I would say is our main character in this movie, but he's not, he's not relatable. Like he's not a character you're rooting for. Cause everything he does, you're like, man, this guy's kind of a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. I would say D bag. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's basically, um, this, a common trope in films when, when the lead male character is an artist, whether it's a musician or a painter or a filmmaker, um, or a puppeteer, apparently, um, they are mooching off of their girlfriend, like, in some capacity. Uh, she's working her butt off to pay for everything while he pursues his dream that is not making any money. Um, which, you know, of all those things I just listed, puppeteering's got to be low on the totem pole of money-making, right? I, I don't see it being a high-paying career um, in many situations. However, uh, he ends up having to get a, a regular job and that's when the movie gets really interesting. Um, he sees there's a, a job ad for a uh, file clerk. I think that's the, the name of the job. Where um, it, it requires nimble fingers and quick moving. So being a puppeteer, I guess he has those skills. Um, but it's in a weird spot. Because it's not on the 7th floor. It's not on the 8th floor. It's on the 7th and a half floor. Oh, 
I was actually talking to a friend while we were waiting. We were doing the listening party at the record exchange tonight about this. It's it's ridiculous. It's pretty funny. Um, he's on the elevator trying to find this floor, and there's no button. I'm waiting for like a Harry Potter type, uh, you know, running through a door type of situation. Um, but Octavia Spencer is riding the elevator with him. This is her only scene in the movie, and she helps him get there. Um, so apparently it's not like some unknown secret. Like everybody appears to know about this. Uh, you the way you know she gets him in through the building, and it's the floor is uh, it's only five foot tall approximately. So he has to hunch over, and you see a bunch of other people all standing like it's normal, just hunched over, um, walking that way. And it's it's funny. It's an interesting visual. Um, the reasoning for the uh, the roof being that way is explained in the orientation video, and um, also apparently a lie. But uh, while working, and I'm going to kind of power through. I don't know if you want to backpedal on anything here, but he ends up finding um, after a couple days of work a door, a very small door, um, that he can't help but be curious about. So he goes in, and this kind of this is something that we've seen quite a few times too down the rabbit hole Mm -hmm. um even in Coraline yeah um, the door resembles the Coraline door quite a bit actually yeah so that I was like oh kind of here we go again but um hmm. but where he lands when he goes into this tunnel is not um a wonderland nor is it um like Coraline's magical world he's in the mind and seeing through the eyes of John Malkovich um, or Malkovic. I don't think it's Vich. I think it's Vic. I loved so much about that scene where he, when he initially gets into John Malkovich, mm-hmm. um, where it's like blurry around the edges of yeah. his vision and, um, the sound of his own voice. The sound design in this film is amazing. I, yes. I... And I know that we've talked about this before because I hate my voice. Um, but the way my voice sounds to me is so different than it sounds to other people, mm. obviously. And I think that they did a good job mimicking that. that. Effect. Yeah, the even the sounds of like him chewing the toast and slurping the coffee, how it it sounds yeah. internal, like when you hear your own self doing it, almost like yeah. if you have earbuds in and you can hear. Yeah, um, and um, just there's there's a few scenes in the film. Uh, it's just to stay on the sound design, like. There is a dance number um, later in the film that John Malkovich performs, which is the, the uh, exact dance that we saw the puppet perform at the beginning of the film, which I thought was a really cool like callback. Because when the scene opened, I was like, okay, they're just establishing that he's a puppet master who's depressed. But when it comes back and John Malkovich does the dance, I was I was so blown away. Because one, I, amazing. That, yeah, that was not an easy no dance to do like the way he's jumping and kind of i feel so behind with john malkovich because my first i think the first movie i remember seeing with him like being aware that it was john malkovich was um red like the uh the it's a graphic novel movie with like the old retired cia agents come back and he plays a crazy character and i remember hearing about this movie when i was a kid not knowing what it was or not a kid i was 17 but i didn't know what who John Malkovich was and in this movie he's like apparently he's a celebrity and I, I mean I saw the um the the Nosferatu movie where he plays the director I can't think of what the film is called um oh, Shadow of the Vampire has... yep um okay. I think that's what it's called and uh he plays the director in that and he's crazy in that um but good like he's really good but he's still crazy and this movie is I mean it's his it's so great like he's his performance is amazing throughout um, the different ways he has to play the character and play himself. Um, there's even a, a crazy scene where he goes inside his own head, um, which we'll talk about probably more in depth in a moment, but I don't want to stray away from my sound thing. So during the dance, um, all of the sounds in the room go away, and all we hear is the music. Um, even though like a mirror shatters, we don't hear the glass break. We don't hear anything. We see Catherine Keener kind of cracking up on the bed. She, we don't hear it, though. We just see it. And I, I just love, there's so many little things like that throughout this film where they do things with sound that I was just really blown away by. Um, one thing, another, go, staying with sound, but um, not long after uh, Cameron Diaz says something to, to um, John Cusack's character about having a baby, there's a scene where he's in his workshop and there's a baby crying. Um, it's supposed to be like in the apartment over, but it's like, it's, it's definitely intentional. You know, it's not just like, oh, this baby's crying because it's late. It's that deafening like it's far away it's distant yet it's in his mind it's in his you know conscious it's just it's another surrealist element that i think spike jones and charlie kaufman did really well um of keeping just these little elements that if you're paying close attention to 
uh, make the movie all the better. Sorry, I missed that, and I'm really jealous now. Actually, I didn't catch that with the kid. But something about that was a little heartbreaking to me later on in the movie. Yes, uh, there's a few things that play factors because the story goes um, in a, f- a few different directions. Every time I thought I knew where it was going to go, it did do some really good uh, alterations to the plot. Um, he has this new job at the seventh and a half floor, and on the very first day, right after the orientation video, um, he catches the eye of Maxine. Or, or I'm sorry, the other way around. Maxine catches his eye, and Maxine is played by Catherine Keener. And he, you can tell immediately he's smitten by her. He's he's totally infatuated. Um, and again, some people might look at think Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, they're both attractive. But in this movie, Cameron Diaz is not made to be attractive. They've made her look almost like a homeless woman. She uh, looks homely. Yeah, like I mean, her hair it's is uh, like frizzy. Yeah, it's very frizzy and str- like thin, and fr- it looks brittle. Um, she's she's always wearing like big sweaters and things like that, in no way trying to show off her form. And, and um, she's keeps a bunch of animals. Uh, she I I don't know. I feel like she works at a pet store because she referenced like having to unload kitty litter. But she's mm-hmm. got some exotic pets. Like she has a chimpanzee. Um, I think she had she has an iguana. Uh, there's a couple of cats. I think. I mean, I think the way that they portrayed her, like her appearance, was good. It kind of showed her as being a caretaker yeah. or a caregiver, you know, like more worried about everybody else and not so much yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Oh no, in no way. I'm just, I've never, I cannot think of another movie where she does that to herself. She's often playing, no. like, I mean, my, the first time I remember seeing her was in The Mask, and they made her a heartthrob, you know, almost like a, a real life Jessica Rabbit. Um, you know, given the proximity of those two movies time wise and um, and then like you think Charlie's Angels or you think uh, Bad Teacher, um, even in the holiday where she's uh, playing like a depressed woman who's going through a breakup, she still manages to look like Cameron Diaz where this film uh, she's on the cover and I didn't realize that was her on the cover for the longest time. I didn't realize that was her for quite a few minutes watching the movie. Mm, yeah, because. It, it she's never played a character like that, which is really interesting. Cusack is recognizable, but even the character he plays, I can't think of him ever playing um, such a like kind of introvert um, oddity of a character uh, where he's not. Because even like in um, Love and Mercy, he plays a character Brian Wilson who has you know mental health disease and he has issues with how to interact with people, but he still has this confidence about him. Um, that is gone in this character. This guy has no confidence, and it, it, it screams that he has no confidence. I don't know, though, because he is trying to mack on Maxine all day. That's, a, okay, valid point, but he does it in a very squirrely, um, knows he's out of his league but can't resist type of way, you know, almost as if, um, and in fact, she uses the word, and I think this is intentional irony, he is a puppet master who's being controlled by Maxine, um, every step of the way, and she even says that as much later on in the film, um, mm-hmm. that you know uh, he ends up realizing that while he's inside John Malkovich's head, he, being the puppet master that he is, can actually take control over John Malkovich, something no one else has been able to do. Um, and she says, if he can control Malkovich, and I can control him, and that is what she'd been doing throughout the entire film. So I think even um, him speaking to her was her design. Not necessarily because she wanted him at the time, but I think she likes to have options. You know, she likes to keep all of her options open, and he was an option. Never know if he'll have a, a skill she might need. Um, so maybe, um, maybe, maybe I'm mis- misjudging his confidence. But he—you're definitely right. He definitely goes after Maxine, who, based on what we've seen of him and his wife, is way out of his league in this film. All right. Um, so he has a. Uh, there's some real funny scenes with the the boss, uh, Mr. Lester. Or Dr. Lester. I really want to talk about that, actually. Okay. First, I love Mary Kay Place. That's the uh, I, the secretary that we were told not to call a secretary? Yes. She's a liaison. liaison. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but she has it in his head that he has a speech impediment that is so horrible that no one else can understand him yeah. but her. <laughs> but she's actually the one who cannot hear properly. Which I think, though, that's a joke. Like, because um, there's a part where she's kind of flirting with uh, Craig mm-hmm. or Curtis. I just made up a name. Curtis, right? Is Curtis? No, it's Craig. It's Craig. Okay, well, yes. I'm making up another name. Um, with Craig, she's like flirting with him real hard. And then he speaks to her and she does that same thing. Cause she's been doing that to him since <laughs> the get go. But then she calls him a bastard. 
like mm. like she did understand what he said, even though she just pretended that she didn't. So I, I'm not sure if she actually can't understand people or if she just likes messing with people. Fair enough. I didn't because I totally caught that when she was hitting on Craig. Yeah, but I didn't know if the whole thing. Well, and then she's she shows up later in the movie, and uh, Charlie Sheen, who has plays himself in this film, uh, which was a funny cameo as this was before he completely loses it, and he's playing a, a Charlie Sheen who's completely lost it, and I found that to be quite amusing. Um, but uh, she talks to him and doesn't seem to have any issues understanding him, if I remember correctly, um, unless I am forgetting. But that's like at the yeah, very right. end of the film. Um, so who knows. But, uh, yeah, that, that part was hilarious. Even just when she starts, it's like, Mr. Suarez? And he's like, Schwartz. Warts? Like, what's <laughs> yeah. happening? And then I didn't know if she was doing it, like, to be needed at that business. Yeah. It definitely, I think so. I think that's, um, it's like job security. She, It's another form of puppeteering. She's controlling Dr. Lester oh um, by, you know, talking to him like that. Um, but, yeah, that, he's he's a major character, but he starts off very insignificant um, kind of creepy, you know, very sexual oriented with uh, conversation topics. Um, and uh, when Craig finds the door and he goes into Malkovich's head, he finds out very quickly establishes the rules, which I thought was a little rushed. But then again, it's a surrealist movie, so it probably doesn't matter. But um, you get 15 minutes inside John Malkovich's head. And when it's uh, when the 15 minutes ends, you are dumped out next to the New Jersey Turnpike, which is apparently not too far from the uh, the workplace. Which I thought was interesting, and I have questions about all of this, so I don't know how far you want to jump ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Let's do it. What do you got? Okay, so first of all, why do you only get 15 minutes, but then he, um, Craig can stay as long as he wants, and we establish that that's because he's a puppeteer and he's strong and he can do that, mm -hmm. and I'll stop jumping ahead, but... Well, well let's, let's just break, break in this whole thing. So, um, okay. Dr. Lester, we find out later, is the... Uh, is the second version of the man who built the building that they work at. I don't remember that man's name. Um, but he has found this door, this portal, that connects to a vessel. And the vessel has to ripen, and it, it takes age 44, so it has to ripen for 44 years. And at, at the night he turns 44, you have to enter the mind, and at midnight you will then be that person. You take over. Um, so he's found basically a way to live forever. So this is his second body. In Dr. Lester, and Dr. Lester's getting, I think he's, he tells us he's 102 or something like that. 105. 105. And um, so, and carrot juice is the reason he's still alive. But he's, if he doesn't jump into this body at the right time, he'll die. And he tells uh, Lottie this whole thing after they've already established this. The portal, we've had people, uh, um, Kurt, Craig, Craig and um, Marlene, the crap man. What's her name? Maxine. Maxine, jeez. My names are just falling out of my brain. Um. Craig and Maxine have been uh, renting out Malkovich's head for $200 a pop. Uh, people line up. They go into his head. They get to be in him for 15 minutes. They're all just silent passengers. Only Craig has ever controlled Malkovich. And once he does it the first time, he continues controlling it. Um, we are not even getting into the love triangle yet. We'll get there soon. But just focusing on this vessel idea. Um, Lottie has explained this by Dr. Lester, how it works. And also an important detail that uh, plays in the end, which is if you um, enter the new vessel, because after uh, the vessel ripens, you at midnight, um, he is disconnected from the portal, and you're either in him or you're not, and the next vessel starts, and apparently if you jump into a new vessel, you get trapped, and you become um, a silent observer. You can't, you have no power whatsoever, but when you join them when they're ripe, you take over, and I think the idea is that the original vessel's consciousness is either pushed to the back or removed completely. They don't really specify. Like, Dr. Lester isn't Dr. Lester. He is the guy from the... Captain. The, yeah, Captain whatever um, that built the building. So those rules are important, and we'll talk about the last scene in a moment too, but with that established, uh, what questions do you have? Uh, obviously... The 15-minute time limit is an arbitrary thing. That's what they decided. That's more or less probably for the humor element of it because seeing the people fall out of the sky and, and pretty much they never yeah. put, like, a mattress down or anything to try to, like, soften the blow. <laughs> um, I kept waiting for them to make it more, like, reliable of a thing because I'm like, people are going to get hurt eventually laying <laughs> on your neck. Um, but are there any uh, anything you want to talk about within that realm right now? No. Okay, so... That is uh, the major plot element of the film is that the, this portal 
takes it to John Malkovich. They make some money on it. But what happens is um, when it first starts, Lottie wants to try it. And when she does, she's immediately taken by being John Malkovich and decides she wants to become a man. Um, which, of course, creates already... There was already problems with the marriage because Craig is in love with Maxine. Uh, Lottie doesn't know that just yet. Um, now Lottie wants to become a man, and when she meets Maxine, she's immediately smitten by her, too. Which apparently, that's Maxine's thing. It doesn't... Anyone looks at her, and they fall in love. And I kind of get tired of that in movies. I feel like that happens... Uh, what's the last movie that I watched, and I was like, oh, it was Michelle Williams. Which film was it? But I... I don't understand that character. I don't, I just, it's hard for me to grasp that, that the, the everyone's bomb. just in love with this one person. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it does she's seem funny, but she's not, you know, I don't see anything attractive about her that way. You know what I mean? Like she's not nice. She's not very charming, but she's just funny. There, There's a confidence though. I think is what they're all drawn to. Um, there's like a power even like uh, the confidence is the power like she is knows she's going to get what she wants. And I think they're drawn to that because they're both pretty passive. Um, Lottie wants these things from Craig and Craig always says no. Same and she seems to be content. Um, and he is the same way. Yeah, they're they're both easily manipulated. Um, and so but the catch is, is that um, Maxine uh, is hitting on John Malkovich for some reason. And Lottie goes inside of him while it's happening, and um, Maxine recognizes it and uh, is now apparently in love with Lottie, but only when she's inside John Malkovich. So they start having dates, and they have a uh, very—it's a very timid sex scene on camera. Like, it's not—there's no nudity, um, but essentially they have sex. Uh, But Lottie's inside John Malkovich's head, and um, Maxine has sex with John Malkovich, but— Lottie can experience it, and Maxine is aware of the fact that it's Lottie. And so, um, and Craig finds out, and he's not happy about it. So he arranges the, another date for them, but locks Lottie up and takes the place in John. Um, John in, in the cage with her chimp, tied yeah. up. Yeah. Pretty, the, when, and he held her at gunpoint, which was yeah. all of that whole sequence. I was so taken aback. I was like, wow, I didn't expect him to... Uh, to resort to this over Maxine for one, but even I didn't think he had something like that in him to pull a gun on his wife and um, tie her up and everything. It was very, very crazy to me. Um, And they have sex now, him as John Malkovich, but uh, that's when he first learns he can control Malkovich. He directs him to do something and then he speaks and John Malkovich freaks out a little bit because he's like, what, what just happened? Someone else controlled my arm. Um, And that, that's kind of the love triangle. So Maxine ends up, uh, seeing the the advantage of being with Craig as Craig can control John Malkovich, who is a famous actor with tons of money, and that's what she's always after is money. That's why she's uh, letting people pay $200 to go inside of his head, why she met up with Malkovich in the first place. And then um, Malkovich gets suspicious, and he ends up uh, finding where they're doing this and insists that he go in the tunnel. And that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. That was nuts. <laughs> um, he's, he's in, he wakes up... Uh, at a restaurant where everybody has Malkovich's head. Um, everybody just says Malkovich, uh, like the menu all says Malkovich. And it's, it's a really crazy, funny scene. Um, it's super short, but it basically freaks him out. And then like everybody else, 15 minutes and he falls onto the New Jersey turnpike. Um, and that's when Craig eventually takes over completely and becomes John Malkovich. Um, so literally being John Malkovich and, uh, that's um, when we find out about the vessel and uh, Lottie is looking for an, a way of getting back uh, Maxine because now um, j- eight months later. So he takes over eight months go by and he's grown hair that resembles uh, Craig's hair. Yeah, very except he's bald on top. Um, he's dro- stopped being an actor and become a puppeteer and has brought legitimacy to puppeteering. You get some cameos. Sean Penn talks and it's pretty funny. Um but, you know, uh, the puppet show that he does is pretty pretty crazy. The Swan Lake, where it's like a life-size puppet, um, and how they did the rigging in the, in the rafters was really interesting. I mean, definitely, I don't think that's possible at all, but it was really cool to see, like, With, their idea. No, and that's what I was thinking, is even the way they have it rigged, wouldn't that be too heavy? I, I and, don't, yeah, and also, just the way he's able, he's not able to move fast enough. To do the movements that we see the puppet doing, I don't think. Um, Which, that's a person in costume, correct? 
I have not looked up the production, but I would assume yes. Okay. I don't know, but I would totally assume, because, uh, again, I don't think it's possible to do a lot of the motions that the puppets do anyways. I'm pretty sure all the puppeteering we saw was stop motion um, and not actual puppeteering. Or um, I forgot what I called them. Or marionette. I don't know if there's a term for marionetting. Is that a... Can you verb that? Um, turn that into a verb? I'm making up all sorts of words tonight, guys. I'm sorry. Um, we're doing whatever we want. We're in John Malkovich's head, man. So um, We should make our own movie club book. <laughs> of words. So, uh, we learn about the vessel and the big twist. Um, so is that... I love uh, this. Dr. Well, I'm still on the Dr. Lester thing, I think. But Dr. Lester has decided it's lonely being the only one to live forever. And I guess he can bring in a bunch of people. And he never explains if they can all control Malkovich or if they're just going to be in the head with him, like like your consciousness. Like you'll have like all these other people will be able to like communicate with you inside your head, but only Lester will have actual control over Malkovich's words and body. I, they don't explain that part. That, um, that was my big question because we learned that unless you can control the vessel, you only get 15 minutes. But how can there be more than one person in there at a time? And they say that um, with Craig, he's so strong that if he doesn't leave and they go to the vessel, then he'll probably just subdue them into the subconscious. You know, yeah. yeah. So that's what I didn't understand. There are like 20 people in this room and they're all going to be in John Mal Malkovich. I, that yeah, was my big they're question. All going to be Malkovich. Um, we, there is a precedence for it inside the film when John Malkovich enters his own head. There's already somebody in his head, um, which, uh, you know, they try to stop him from going. But then Catherine Keener's like, just let him go. And he's like, OK. Um, and then after Malkovich falls out of the time limit, the other guy falls out right after him, um, which is interesting. because Did he see what John Malkovich was seeing when John Malkovich was inside of his own head? Whoa. Um, did he see him crawling into the tunnel? Like it's it's, you know, very intriguing in that regard. Um, but as far as the multiple people go, I'm thinking it's going to be that Lester is going to control. I also think when the ve vessel is ripe, the 15 minute thing is not uh, applicable. I think it's, um, that's the time where it's like, okay to do it, where you're not going to have the, uh, the kick out. Like you have to be in it. And then once you're in it, you're, you're safe because the connection's severed. He's no longer I, able to reject the consciousness. I love that scene where Lottie goes to Dr. Lester's house and she tells he tells her all about that. And I loved when she intro he introduced her to all of those other people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they are old and they've already lived one life. So what could they possibly be losing? Yeah, if it doesn't work out or something. But um, it does. I do think they're just inside of his head. I don't know that they can control anything which I have some questions I want to get to in a minute about that. But um, the information he tells her about if we're if we're a minute late, if we're at 1201, um, we'll be lost because we'll be entering the new vessel. And once you, when you enter the new vessel, you're absorbed. You can't control it because it's I think because it's too new. And so you just get pushed into the subconscious and you'll have to you'll be able to see things like you'll be there, but you'll never be able to control or communicate or make any decisions um, which seems to be what happens when you go into the ripe vessel. You take over immediately. Um, and that's where Craig's character apparently was much stronger than everybody else before, or at least the other people who were aware of it. Now, at the end of the movie, um, we know two things, in fact. Um, when they're trying to get the vessel back, they're trying to make Craig leave John Malkovich, they kidnap Maxine, who's pregnant. And we find out that Maxine's pregnant by John Malkovich, but when Lottie was inside of Malkovich. So it's technically... It's technically Malkovich's baby, but it's Lottie's version of Malkovich's baby, which makes I don't think it means anything other than that's Maxine's justification for keeping the baby. Um, they kidnap her, threaten to kill her so that Craig will leave, but Craig doesn't immediately leave. He's uh, too afraid he to leave. He hangs up on them. Yeah, he hangs up on them and tries to uh, to not leave, but d after desperation occurs, he does uh, agree, although they were bluffing anyways, because this is where I do have an issue. They say, um, we can't kill her. She has the next vessel. Mm -hmm. But Dr. Lester has no apparent connection to Malkovich. That's what I didn't understand. Does it have to be in the same... Does it have to be the offspring of the current well, vessel? I, I would like, say no. Because, in, again, unless Lester is Malkovich's father and they just don't tell us that. Um, or, like, you know, it could be, like, an Ill illegitimate child, something like that. They never say that. Uh, but for some reason, this time, the next vessel is... Malkovich's offspring 
Um, they again never explain how they know that ahead of time, nor uh, does it really make sense with what we know about Doctor Lester and Malkovich's attachment. Although again, we don't know for sure they're not related, but they don't appear to know each other. Um, other than Lester knows that he's the vessel, but so with that knowledge, um, what we see happen is he Craig gives up Lester, uh, not Lester, but gives up Malkovich. Lester and his old people join, uh, go into Malkovich's head. Lottie does not, although Lottie was going to. And we see them take over. We see them immediately have control over Malkovich as a young lady walks out of the bathroom. And he's like, hello, young lady. And very much in a uh, Dr. Lester sort of way. I love that. Um, which That's what makes Malkovich impressive as crap in this movie. Is he has to play many different types of characters depending on who's controlling him. Um, but uh, we see Lottie and we see Maxine seven years later, I think, um, with their daughter, uh, who is now seven. And we get confirmation from um, John Malkovich, who's talking to Charlie Sheen, offering him a similar deal that in about, uh, what, 37 years, um, we will enter this girl's mind and take over her vessel. And it cuts to uh, them at the pool. We see the little girl. We see the, the mom, the two moms. And um, soon we hear John Cusack's voice. It, he's inside of Emily. He went into the portal. But when he does what he did with Malkovich and tries to get uh, her to do something, she doesn't. Why? Because she wasn't right. Mm, wrong. Or why? What? What? Because the other vessels still. Well, I don't know. Here's my theory. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't know anything about the vessel rules. He wasn't privy to the forty, the forty-four year old thing. He knows nothing of that. So when he gave up the vessel, the old people took it. Twelve oh one hits. The new vessel is now connected to the portal. He goes into the portal trying to take Malkovich back, but Malkovich is no longer connected to the portal. And according to Lester, when you enter a new vessel, you're absorbed. Mm -hmm. So C Craig doesn't exist anymore. He has become part of Emily, but in the subconscious. He has no control. He's trapped, and all he can do is observe. That's what I meant. <laughs> well, that is a really... Uh, he gets his comeuppance. Um, you know, he was greedy. He was. Uh, he only wanted what he wanted all the time. And he had no issues, you know, giving up his wife or holding her at gunpoint to get Maxine. And then once he had the puppeteering thing going with Malkovich, he was even neglecting Maxine and was willing to let her die in order to really? save Malkovich. Well, but he says when they call him that, what will I do if I'm not John Malkovich? She already doesn't want much to do with me now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying he doesn't want her, but he's still willing to let her, you know, go in a way because he, he would rather take a chance of having her with Malkovich than not having her at all. But at the same time, his point is kind of like, well, what would I gain by giving up Malkovich? Because I'm going to lose her if I give up Malkovich. And I don't even really have her now. So it's it's it better for him to just stay as Malkovich because at least he has his career going and he's making money and he's doing what he wanted to do, which was puppeteer on a large scale with adult-themed puppets rather than like children's shows and stuff. And, um, but so he gets his comeuppance. He's trapped inside this little girl. Uh, he'll, he, from what Lester told us, he won't be able to ever get out. Like he's done. Um, he's imprisoned essentially. So it's an interesting, t uh, twist on the, the, the plot. And again, he didn't know any of that. So he went in thinking he could probably kick Lester out of Malkovich's head, but he couldn't because he, they're in a different portal. Um, although that could, if they ever had made a sequel, like, you know, Emily's 44, you know, Malkovich is really, really old, jumps into the, the the vessel and finds Craig there. Maybe they have to battle of the mind or something. Could be interesting. Um, they I, I don't think Kaufman's a uh, sequel kind of guy, though, so I don't think we're going to ever get that. But um, that's the gist of the main plot. Uh, there's definitely some amazing scenes. We talked about the dance sequence that Malkovich does. Um, Malkovich, uh, you know, sitting at the restaurant with himself. Um, talking to, like, saying Malkovich over and over again is hilarious. Um, I really loved all the performances in this movie. Uh, John Cusack and Cameron Diaz I thought were great. I think one of Cameron Diaz's best performances. I don't generally generally like her, and I really liked her in this movie. I think it's because so often I feel like she's so loud and kind yeah. of her characters. It kind of that same J Jim Carrey kind of mm. thing. Well, and she does, there are moments where she, it sounds like some of her other characters um, but mm -hmm. just her overall performance and her her demeanor is so different um, that I it really, I think, showed that she has a little more range than you see in a lot of her other films. Um, Cusack, I am a fan of in many things. 
Um, but I really did like him in this a lot. Again, Malkovich was fantastic. Um, and Catherine Keener, I'm, I, you know, I haven't seen too many of her films. I, I didn't love her in Get Out. I didn't hate her by any means, but I heard a lot of people really raving about her performance in Get Out, and I didn't feel like she was the strongest. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I'm not saying, obviously people are entitled to think whatever they want. It just, that wasn't me. I, I don't know. I think it was maybe her stoicism in the film that I, it didn't click with me. Like, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like she was hiding the truth as well as the other people in the family. Like, to me, she always felt kind of condescending and aggressive. Um, like, with her, like, the way she is with uh, the maid and everything like that, it always felt like she was too close to revealing the secret, where everyone else felt like they were playing it very well. The The brother, not so much, but the brother is supposed to be that wild card that's not not really on board with how they're doing it. He likes his way, and um, not to spoil Get Out, but that's, you know, kind of the thing that I picked up on, but... Um, I I thought she was really good in this movie though. Um, you know, like I, she had more to do. I think, um, she was very prominent in the film. I still haven't seen Get Out. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't. I didn't realize you hadn't seen Get Out. Um, you totally With, need to see oh, Get Out. Um, um, I know, but all that free time I have, guys. Hey, hey, there's some movies that you just have to give up other things for. Um, it, it'll be out soon. I'm imagining on Blu-ray or DVD. So make sure you snag that. So. Um, being John Malkovich, um, I enjoyed very much. Uh, I. It, it's not. I love Eternal Sunshine more for sure because there's a happiness, even though it's a there's a, there's some sadness about Eternal Sunshine. There's definitely there's more hope. There's like no hope in this movie. This movie is kind of like, man, people suck. Um, like almost everybody kind of sucks. Um, this film does deal with uh, existentialism quite a bit, like the idea of existence. Um, because if this one portal exists that takes people into John Malkovich, um, and keep in mind too. That let's say he brought about ten people with him in John Malkovich, at the end there when he when the the Lester and his friends go, so let's say there are now ten consciousness consciousnesses whatever the plural is for this, um inside of Malkovich's head, Malkovich is going to then at some point go into the new vessel right, he's already recruiting Charlie Sheen the secretary, and uh, Charlie Sheen's wife and probably let's assume five to six more people. So essentially, there will then be 20 consciousness in the new girl, right? So at some point, you have to start thinking of, it, is it like a city within the mind where like all these people are just kind of going through their normal routine every day um, while one of them is controlling the godlike home of everybody else? You know, if they're not able to actually control the vessel. Um, and that's something I don't understand either because the one lady... Says I've always wanted to have a yes. penis. Yep. <laughs> and yep. um, but if she can, they still feel things like. Uh, that's the implication that he implies uh, that he they at least they think, um, which of course he's never brought multiple people in. This is his first time trying this, so he may not even really know how it will work. Um, there's no indication that there's multiple people when when uh when Malkovich is talking to Charlie Sheen, it does seem like just a single person. And the fact that they've taken the secretary, Malkovich has taken the secretary as a wife after everything Lester had said about her early in the film implies that Lester's making the big decisions um, because he had, he had the hots for her and now he's with her. I love it. Um, So, you know, it's existentialism is the idea of, of existence and how do we exist? What, what is existence? And of course we have to also ask if there's a portal to John Malkovich's head, who is a vessel, how many other portals are there? How many other vessels are there? How many other people are doing this to live forever? Like, we only know Lester's doing it for sure, but the fact that it exists with one implies that it would exist with others, right? Mm-hmm. So how many people are multiple person, multiple consciousness? And then again, is that what multiple personalities are? Um, and that, I was going to say, what is that movie with John Cusack, Frostproof? What's that movie oh, where he's... Uh, uh, I see one I have not watched Identity though. Um, yeah, and I still haven't watched. It. I've I've had that for a long time, and I, it's sitting on my shelf still. Um, one I want to watch, and then uh, but even Split, um, you know, more recently, is that how this is like, you know, are we gonna have a Charlie Kaufman M Night Shyamalan crossover, and find out that's why he has multiple personalities? It's legitimately a vessel, or he's a vessel for all these other people. Um. It's it's an interesting concept, and you could definitely get really deep with the philosoph- the philosophical implications that the film's discussing, um, which you see that a lot with his films, because you see um, in Eternal Sunshine, there's the mind manipulation, the idea of memories, and um, 
can you erase someone from your memory, thus erasing their existence from your knowledge that, you know, they don't. And then um, are we able to, are our memories uh, what create our, our emotions or are our emotions more powerful than our memories, which Eternal Sunshine's ending implies that the emotions are stronger than the memories because the emotions are still there even with the memories erased. Um, and then Anomalisa, you have a character who is, um, he he's starting to, he feels like he's going crazy. He's seeing himself in everybody. Um, that's the interesting thing. If you look, it's not a spoiler. If you look at the cast for Anomalisa, there are, I think, three voice actors. Um, and it's not because there's three characters. Is that every puppet in the movie looks like your main character, has the voice of your main character, and he n- thinks he's losing his mind because everybody looks like him, talks like him, until he meets Jennifer Jason Lee. She's the anomaly, hence the uh, Anomalisa name, because her name is Lisa, and he wants to call her Anomalisa. Um, but that's the idea, again, is like the idea of existence, the idea of um, who are we, what are we. Kaufman really explores that um, a lot in all three of those movies, is like what makes us us. And um, Synecdoche definitely deals with that, but in a much more surrealist way, the way things break down, um, it gets really crazy, and I really am looking forward to rewatching Synecdoche, New York. Well, I'm nervous because it's my first time watching it. Yeah, well, it's the only film that I rated as um, inconclusive last year, as I didn't know for sure how I felt about it. I know I was really intrigued by it, but I was also um, felt un- uncertain about it. And I think partly is the narrative. I am a big story person, so. I generally find films that are lacking story or don't have a clear narrative um, to not not connect with me as much as other as the films that do. Um, and so Synecdoche, that I think was part of my reason because I still liked it. I love the ideas that it dealt with. I love some of the visuals are, are just amazing in that movie, which Kaufman, even though he didn't direct this or Eternal Sunshine, some of the visuals in both John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine are so great. Um which Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman also did Adaptation together, um, which I really want to see. Have you seen Adaptation? I haven't, but oh. I also learned that today. Um, do you know the premise of Adaptation? Um, I feel like we might have talked about um, it briefly, but no. Because well, Charlie Kaufman wrote it where it's uh, the character Nicolas Cage is playing Charlie Kaufman. Um, and he is trying to adapt a book that I, do not, I never remember the name of because I'm not familiar with the book. But it's a book that's said that cannot be adapted. Like, it's impossible to adapt to a film. And so that's what he's trying to do and struggling with, like, writer's block. Um, Meryl Streep's mm-hmm. in it and Nick Cage. Uh, and it's a, it's three years after this one, I think. I think, I think it's 2002. Um, it's one I've been really wanting to see for a while now. And after seeing Being John Malkovich, I'm convinced I need to see Adaptation. Um, but um, that and then uh, I think he's working on a new film. And I think that's all of his films. Um, either written or directed. He's only directed Synecdoche and Anomalisa, I think. Um, and then he's worked with Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry. But um, this is the part where we give our rating. So I'm going to let you go first, Corey. What do you think of being John Malkovich? <sighs> My least favorite part. Because <laughs> um, it's hard. It is a challenge. Because it's not just about me. Um, I will say probably... God, I'm having a hard time. This is not my favorite part. Um, because I do think it's revolutionary. Well, I'll go first while you debate. I am going must-see. Um, I think this is a must-see movie. It is definitely not going to appeal to everybody. But I That's think my... um, for me, it's it's without a question a must-see film. It, it does things that I love. It, it is interesting visuals, a compelling narrative. Um, it does hit some uh, some tropes, but I think it does it in a new and innovative way again like the love triangle which has become now especially a very common thing in a film um the love triangle has been around forever but it does feel like uh in recent years after the twilight nonsense um it's been a, in a surplus with movies but um the love triangle in this film is unique to say the least and so is so much about it um it's also very thought-provoking about existence and um you know, if he takes over John Malkovich, and even more so, like, he takes over John Malkovich and turns him into a puppet, a puppeteer, um, and people eat it up. But when he was doing it, people resisted. And so um, what is it about John Malkovich that people were okay with this thing? You know, 
there's a lot of deep questions that I think the movie provokes that are not needed to be asked, mind you. Ex- existentialism, um, in certain ways, I mean, why are we here is the most fundamental question you can ask in it. And that's a question people ask all the time and often, you know, have um, spiritual debates and things like that. But in this case, it's it's more about the idea of existence. And it's something I've always found really compelling. Um, you know, Rene Descartes, uh, I think, therefore I am. Um, and those are... Uh, fun things for me to think about so for me it hits all of those those notes it's quirky it's funny um it's charlie kaufman all over it and it's uh it's early i mean it's his first feature film and it works really well for me so without any question it's a must see for me uh so maybe that helps you a little bit yes so i'll just start rating all my films because i try to weigh in what i think about a general audience too and that's where i get messed up so for me it's a must see film ah perfect so we both love this movie. Um, it's again, if you look at it's, watch it again. Yeah, I'm. Uh, this is one I'm really glad I bought because I'm totally gonna rewatch this. Um, it's uh, IMDb it has a 7.3 user score, but it has a 90 Metacritic. Um, and it was nominated for a few Academy Awards, although it did not win anything, which is a shame. Um, as I thought there were some really great performances. Unfortunately, Malkovich was not nominated. I don't see how because to me, he his performance in this is amazing. Um, definitely makes me excited to see the other Coffin films that I've not seen and to rewatch the Nectarine New York. But as we said, we're not doing that one this coming week. Um, for our next episode, episode 17, we will be watching um, Under the Skin, starring Scarlett Johansson, uh, one that we've talked about watching a couple weeks ago. We weren't able to get it at the time, but we have access to it now. So we will be watching it this week, and we would love... Um, to either hear from you about your thoughts on what we said with being John Malkovich, your thoughts about the ending of being John Malkovich. Maybe you thought it was um, a different explanation than what I gave. Um, Maybe you understand something that we didn't understand. Who knows? We'd love to hear your comments. You can leave those comments on our website. You can leave them on SoundCloud. Um, You can tweet at us. I'm at Burke Reviews. I'm at Corey R. Star, C-O-R-E-Y-R-S-T-A-R-R. Sorry. And um, nope. <laughs> you can email us. Uh, our emails are on our website. And, in fact, you can see the, the links to our emails on the post for this episode. Um, but we also want you to tweet at us or email us your thoughts on Under the Skin. So if you want to watch it with us before we actually record the podcast, we're going to be recording on Wednesday, uh, the 26th, um, because of the Florida Film Festival. I will be attending the Billy Crudup show on the Friday, which is when we usually record. So if you want us to read your uh, comments on the air, you need to get at us before that. Um, you can reach us any of those same ways. Again, um, we thank you for listening. We encourage you to please share the podcast with your friends. Tell people about us. Help us spread the word. Um, we are looking for sponsors or donations of any kind to help defer the cost of seeing the movies and buying the movies because Corey and I are both avid collectors, so we try to keep uh, our collection pretty pretty uh, serious. Um, when we review these movies, we are watching them legally. Uh, we are not bootlegging any of these. We are buying them and or renting them, so it does cost money to do that. Um, and, you know, hosting the podcast uh, on SoundCloud and running our website, it all costs money, and we love to keep doing it, and I don't see any reason to ever stop, but it would help if we had some income coming in. So um, you don't have to give us money directly. You can click on the ads on our webpage. Uh, you can um, shop through our shop, which is an Amazon shop. You buy stuff through that, and we get a, a small kickback for it. You're paying the same price you would pay with Amazon. You, you can use your Prime account and everything. The only difference is you're shopping through our site. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We will be back next week to talk about Under the Skin. Uh, Corey, thank you for giving up some of your time this Friday night. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Tell your friends. Have a good night. Peace. Bye. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.